Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Stacey, it's our 171st show. Good morning, it is. We are we are we are continuing to uh, build our numbers higher and higher, which is always good. That means that we haven't we haven't really missed too many. So you, you, that's pretty good for week after week in this very busy HR tech space. Yeah. So what have you been up to? Well, I've been traveling quite a bit. I was out in uh, San Francisco last week um, in your area while you were, I think, in New York. And I had done the Success Factors uh, event, as we had talked about in our last show. I had uh, done a client visit and then had done a, an on-site visit with another vendor. Uh, and then uh, over the weekend, I traveled to Las Vegas and attended the ServiceNow conference that I just got back from. So uh, it's been a busy week of visiting vendors and talking about their platforms and what they're doing. So we have some updates from that as well. And then I... Uh, um, my counterpart, Erin Spencer, went to Workforce Software's event because I couldn't attend that, and she did a great job bringing back some notes for that for us for today as well. So, and how about you? Have, have you been have you been home this week, or or were you still on the road last week? So, you know, you know, I'm getting ready to do the um, second big industry research on AI report, and and the month of May is largely about doing product demos. And I have just a ton of demos with great companies. And what's interesting is they all have some facet that's just delightful. I've encountered a couple of mm, scam artists in the in the process, and, and 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 interestingly, some of the scam artists have some of the biggest funding. Uh, but for the most part, the, the sort of lab-like companies that are doing a comprehensive look at the industry are producing really, really interesting results. And so, so I'm excited about that. And then last week, I gave my big presentation at the O'Reilly AI conference about the ethical issues in AI in HR. And it, was, it, it may have been the best received presentation I've ever done. Right? Big crowd. And the reviews all came in with five stars, which was which was which was fun for me because because um, you know you know I I am I'm good on stage, but I'm no um, um, I, I I don't know how to give a TED talk. <laughs> I think that's what I said. <laughs> well, it sounds like you like you uh, uh, hit that crowd just right, and and I think you're being a little bit humble there, John. But that's okay. Well. We'll, we'll let you. You you always give a, a an interesting conversation to an audience. I, I have yet to find a presentation that, that I've attended that you've delivered that you haven't made me think a little differently when I walked away from it. And I talk to you all the time, so I'm sure everybody gets something out of your presentations. Uh, O'Reilly, for those of us who don't know what it is, can you explain a little bit about about that sure, and, sure. and maybe why this is a little bit of a bigger yeah, deal? Yeah. yeah. O'Reilly is the is the uh, the world's largest producer of technical-oriented trade shows, Um, and they are also the world's largest publisher of technical books and online learning, Um, and they they happen to be sort of my next-door neighbors here in my little town in Northern California, Um, and and are, um, if, if you talk to people who are doing technology, the engineers and the software developers and the product managers, You'll find that they that they have a subscription to O'Reilly's um, media, or they have books on their desk from O'Reilly. The, O'Reilly's been the heart of 
uh, tech education in Silicon Valley for 30 years now. And wow. um, so, so it's an amazing audience. This is the biggest technical conference on AI in the world. Um, and it was, astonishing. It, was, it, was, it was wonderful to, to go to listen to how people are talking about implementing AI across the enterprise. And to an audience that that was not traditionally HR, so I think that means that you are spreading the word, John. You are helping us get the word out about what HR and AI are together compared to where everybody thinks it's at, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's another cool thing that happened in the last since we last talked, and that is um, there's an article in Human Resource Executive magazine that I wrote that's about the um, slate of sessions that I'm pulling together for the HR HR tech conference in the fall. Um, and it's a good, it's a good piece about uh, making AI practical. And, and it's the centerpiece of their May issue. You can also find it online. Um, and, and I was pretty excited to see that thing published. There you go. The AI, you will have all the updates for everybody who's listening to us on what's happening in AI, especially after you get through all of your demos. I'm a little jealous on the demos because you get to see some really cool stuff, but I'm not jealous that you were spending 90 minutes for each demo. That's what, like six hours a day in demo time, right? So that, that's a lot of demo time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I am recording everything. I'm taking meticulous notes, and I don't really expect to be able to remember my own name at the end of this run <laughs> of, of, of demos. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's intense and is going to be, oh, oh, I bet it's six weeks in total by the time I'm done. Yeah, I always get the people who are like, and the analyst role must be so exciting. I'm like, it is really exciting. And during that time when we're doing the research, it's also a little bit mind-numbing because there's so much data that you're dealing with. So um, it, it gives a good good glimpse into what we do on a on a regular basis. Um, so it's, it's also been oh, – go ahead. Yep. Yeah, I just want to, I wanted to say one other thing. One of the things that I've started telling people who are doing demos for analysts is that – Repetition is your friend, right? Yeah. People, people who review products in this space, particularly now with the, with the extraordinary volume of funding that's been going on in the industry, um, have a hard time remembering and being able to distinguish one small brand from another small brand. And so, so it is a service to tell the same story over and over again. No, I would agree with that. And and getting down that sort of demo process so that it, it's very clear what your product does, how it's differentiated, and then what you're going to be doing down the road. I always tell people um, when you're doing product demos, you don't want to meander. You want to be very clear because when you meander, then we ask questions and the the message gets lost. Um, there will be times at later dates to do uh, different reviews, but but very clear on what they're trying to state to the market because otherwise we make up what we think it is. So. <laughs> well, well, I think that's I think that's right. But there's another thing. You know, my my demos tend to meander. Um, and and they tend to meander because I'm I'm interested in in seeing how good the company actually is. If they've got a script and they can't leave the script, I don't think the product's any good. Um, really, really, you know. And 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 I like 
I like it when the demo breaks because what you see when the demo breaks is how the company responds to the inevitable crap that happens in a long-term technical relationship. And so, so I actually encourage buyers to try to break the demo. However, however you do that, by asking hard questions, by taking them down rabbit holes, what you want to see, because these things are all in development. It's like we're going to talk about Glassdoor in a second. And Glassdoor is a classic story of how a company pivots to find its business model and success. Yeah. And um, um, if you are talking with a vendor and they're not at scale yet, then they're probably going to pivot and you want to understand what it's going to be like to ride with them through the pivot. Yeah. Um, I think that you're, you're probably very right in, in, in the aspect of sort of being able to get in and dive in for a true demo. And maybe there's a difference between sort of a demo and that introduction Briefing is probably a better way to explain the difference. I get half-hour briefings because I'm not looking at deep features and functions. I'm really trying to get a sense of where that organization fits in the market. But once you're past that, I would agree. If you're doing demos for the process of making decisions about features and functions, then you definitely want to get in and look at the details. But there's so many vendors who come, I think, in, even when they're first trying to explain what they do, and they don't have their story down, and, that, and they don't know where they fit in the market. And some of that's, you know, great. We get a chance to walk through that conversation and have a great talk about it. But sometimes it feels a little bit like they're still trying to figure out who they are. And that takes a lot of effort for us to try and figure out where they fit if they don't know where they fit, right? Oh, yeah. But, but uh, you know, with, with the, the kinds of companies that I'm typically looking at, the kinds of endeavors that I'm looking at, if they really knew who they were and really had a complete and comprehensive set of where they're going, They'd be scary, and and I don't mean that in a good way. Um, um, much of this is, you, you know, there's a lot of talk about the the virtues of failure, and I'm kind of, and I don't really, I don't really believe that failure is some sort of a virtue, but I do believe that when you go to work in a lab trying to solve a problem, that what happens when it works best is you discover something you weren't intending to discover, right? And so the, so the people that, that impress me the most are the people who are looking hard and are willing to have every single one of their assumptions turned on its head if they discover evidence that, that um, uh, makes their hypothesis invalid or requires a modification to their hypothesis right and so so what i'm looking for is that sort of intensity about the problem that they're trying to solve rather than um, a deep evaluation of the quality of their marketing message I can that and to the, to me that sounds very much like doing research like they're actually researching the area that they're in to some extent still um which is not a bad thing they people have to go through that process to figure out where they're at um it's a process of sort of as you said learning from what is working and not working and finding out new stories we've got a couple of organizations that we're going to be talking about today that have done that one you already mentioned you know we could 
dive right into what's happening with, I think, probably the top story, which is Glassdoor. Um, Glassdoor was purchased, um, or an intent to purchase uh, this week was mentioned by the same company that purchased Indeed a few years back, um, and that is the uh, Japanese-based organization called Recruit. Uh, this is a space you've, you've, you've done a lot of work in, John. You want to talk a little bit about Glassdoor? Because as you said, they were an organization in the early days that maybe weren't, wasn't quite sure where they fit in the market and had to find their, their way through it to some extent? Uh, uh, well, I, I'd say it's slightly different than that. I, mm-hmm. I, what I'd say is that their original thesis was um, if you collected reviews of companies, you could monetize it with advertising. The people behind Glassdoor are the same people behind Zillow. Um, and uh, it's, the, it's the same idea, aggregating the information. Um, the, the, the Glassdoor idea was to be more like Yelp. And so their original idea about how to make money had to do with selling employers ads and access and data. And they didn't come on the job board idea, aggregating jobs and, and allowing people to search for them for quite some time. So the, comp- the, the company evolved to become what it is today, which is the best place to go to get a comprehensive view of a specific company, its compensation, and the way that people feel about it when they are alumni. Um, and, 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 and what, what a deal. This was the largest tech acquisition so far this year. And, and at yeah. $1.2 billion, um, it rivals anything that's been done in the um, uh, HR technology space over the last 20 years. It's a huge, huge thing. And, you, you know, I, I knew the folks at Glassdoor. I, I spent time in their offices when there were five of them, and I thought it was a nutty idea. Um, and <laughs> Right, I think one way. I think one way to tell if a company is going to be a big hit is, is if if I go visit them and think it's a kind of a nutty idea. <laughs> You're um, like, oh, this nothing's going to come out of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, you, you know, it's really. I think I think people who who claim to be able to spot winners easily um, are, are overstating what's possible. I, I, it's really yeah. easy to look at the future and mistake it for silliness. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and so, so my early experiences with them had some component to that. And then I, I wrote for them for a while and um, got to know the team there when it was little. Um, and, and and it's extraordinary to see how it's grown up and. Um, it sounds like the deal is that Recruit wants to maintain a hands-off relationship, although th- that's hard to do. That's hard to do. Yeah. So, so yeah, congratulations to Glassdoor. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, I think this is. I think I don't think we've really had something that's had this much news and 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 sort of awareness in the market really since probably the LinkedIn purchase, and that was at twenty six point two billion, but. Um, uh, as far as data points go, and uh, you know, sort of the 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 ability to change the HR market in a whole different way, I'd say Glassdoor had as much of an impact in some cases as you know, you know, the early LinkedIn did as well. It's just really made you rethink the idea of where you go to get information about your job and how you think about your job, 
in a way that just wasn't around prior to them. Um, the other thing I think that's sort of interesting is, you know, you had mentioned that um, they're going to have a hands-off. It seems to be that they've done somewhat of the same thing with Indeed. Um, there was a, a little bit of detail um, earlier this week from, you know, uh, their headquartered locations or the offices that they had in Ireland about the fact that for Indeed they, they actually expanded the amount of people who are working there in Ireland, which was good. Um, but what I didn't realize is how much data is in the Glassdoor environment. They said they had 770,000 companies um, in more than 190 countries. And I thought, that's an amazing amount of information on just companies alone. From a data perspective, do you think that Recruit is going to take advantage of all that data in there as well as just sort of the, the, the relationship between the job board models? Of course they are. Of course they are. There is kind of quietly, kind of in the background, large global staffing firms are rearranging the online industry. So so if you look at Ronstad, Ronstad has a, a tremendous um, innovation lab that's kind of like an in-house VC and they, and they are funding experiments across the board in recruiting. Um, and then they, they have they released a product a couple of weeks ago called Velocity, I believe. And Velocity is an integration of small AI products into a single dashboard. Um, you know, it's not, a, not, not rocket science to do this, but it puts Ronstead squarely in the software business. Um, and, and if you think about how staffing companies and RPOs do their work, if you're a customer, you interact with them through a screen. Um, you enter things in the screen and results come out. And, and to me, that's a technology company. Um, um, and um, the, 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 the staffing firms, Recruit is the big one in Japan, Ronstadt is the big one in Europe, um, all don't they're nervous about calling themselves technical companies. But when I look at, when I look at what you get, it's, it's a technology company with the singularly interesting difference that they have all the liability for results rather than when you buy software from a pure Silicon Valley style technology company, you, you have the liability, right? And that, that willingness to be liable, that willingness to be accountable for results means that that the stuff that they're releasing is very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and and very, you know, I think that 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 mix of services and reliability and software together might be the sort of magic, you know, sauce I think over the next couple of years because I think organizations, you know, one of the things that I that I'm seeing um in a lot of organizations that I'm talking about is that the the idea of, of just using the technology in and of itself is starting to get a little bit wearing on their nerves because the technology itself is not sort of adding value to the business. In many cases, it's the services or how you use the technology, and people are needing help in doing that. Um, you know, I heard a lot of that this week. One of the, the um, uh, conferences that I went to was the ServiceNow conference, and for those who don't know ServiceNow is they are uh, a, a large sort of 
IT managed services and help desk uh, organization that has grown rapidly over the last several years. Um, they had 17,000 attendees at this event that I went to. What? Um, but yeah, <laughs> 17,000. That was probably with their vendor sponsors as well, but but registered people at this event. Yeah, um, it was it was pretty impressive. I will have to say. Um, uh, and they had uh, 900 of them were in the HR profession. They were able to track around 900 this year. Um, they're they're growing rapidly from a help desk case management IT managed services business into sort of a organization that is focusing on the employee experience or engagement. They changed their whole marketing scheme this year. They changed their whole look and feel. Um, they've uh, got a new CEO that's been in place for about a, a year now, John Donahoe, who comes actually from eBay Technologies, um, and he put in place a, a new leadership team, a new design team. But the big conversation was, how do you get the most out of these technologies that are currently being used as um, the, the primary interaction tools for many organizations, both with their IT teams, their security teams, their CRM teams, their, their customer relationship management teams, and their HR now with the help desk tools. Um, and so it was really about this whole conversation of where to services versus technology um, end. Uh, now, their perspective is that the services is all in this, the, their so providing the technology that helps the services, right, from a managed services perspective. Um, but their their conversations were much more about a services-based organization than it was about a technology-based organization this week. So it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly the same trend, I think, which is, which is um, accountability for results um, uh, trumps the ability to document them. Yeah, yeah, the ability to to bring out uh, uh, the technology and then have more features and functions. And it was interesting. Um, actually, one of the exact comments from their new design team leadership was, "We focused a lot on features and functions in the past. We are now focusing on the quality of what we are producing." Um, and so uh, that was sort of an interesting um, dialogue. It was similar dialogue that we heard from the Success Factors team as well when we were there the previous week. So we're, we're I think, starting to hear this mantra that more technology is not the answer. How you use that technology and the services wrapped around it is, um, which I think you and I have been talking about for a while. Uh, the other thing I think that's interesting for those who maybe haven't heard of ServiceNow before um, is that they really are starting to, to get to a point where um, they are in competition. Now, th now, they're not saying this directly, but I think it, you know we can feel it as an analyst group that they're sort of in competition for the FaceTime or the direct access to the employee. Um, one of the things that you know we saw is that they're now implementing an onboarding program. They've got a new employee self-service sort of front-end portal technology that they're sort of leveraging. Um, and what they're saying is that when the employee needs something, when the employee is looking for something, they go to where they get help, and that is through this type of case management technology. Um, and that's in, in direct competition to some extent from what we're hearing from the core HRMSs who believe they should be the primary organizations um, that you go to from a technology perspective. Are, are you seeing this battle, John, between where I should go or who should be the first system that I access as 
valuable, or do you think that this is going to be completely mute in a few years because people will just be accessing their systems through voice or other ways? Well, I'll tell you what, it strikes me that that, um, that we're sort of having the same conversation that we, we would have had about um, Workday, whose, whose primary initiative is natural workspaces, which means that, that if you want to interact with Workday, you do it through Facebook, through, um, oh, God, um, through, through, uh, Slack. through any other, yeah. Slack, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, I've been in too many demos. <laughs> I've been in way too many yeah. demos. Right, and and so and so the idea that that you have to be the the center of the universe is, I think it's I think it's crazy. I think it's just crazy, and um, um, it's crazier still to think that the center of the universe would be an HR system. Right, it's that's well, that, that's that's an over-the-top view of the value of HR. Well, and I think that's sort of what's happening here because this isn't just an HR system. This is a company-wide sort of case management model, right? That's sort of their goal is to say we're not just a help desk, we're not just a, a self-service portal. We're we're the place where you can manage all of the cases and activities and workflows happening in your company. Um, and that's the broader sense. But I think that it's still the idea of do I have to go to the system or is the system going to come to me, which is the conversation I'm hearing a lot of. Um, yep. Now, yep. now, one of the other organizations that um, we also saw this week was Workforce Software. Neither you nor I went there, but uh, Aaron, our colleague, went there. And they're, they're I think, in the they're in the workforce management space, but what they're doing sounds very much um, – like going in sort of the other direction from where we're seeing some of these big, broad ecosystem environments like ServiceNow and Workday and, and even to some extent what we're seeing in the recruiting space with sort of con- bringing everything underneath one umbrella. Workforce software seems to be going much more for the industry play. Um, they are focused on doing very, very complex very specific workforce management solutions. Um, and one of the things that, um, you know, Aaron mentioned that I thought was really interesting is that they are a uh, new crew management model, which is basically um, supposed to go for sort of like the utilities management environments or any environment where you have sort of a deployed crew um, needing to be tracked. They've, they've put that into their new workforce management system. They're also doing new workforce management applications that work for the um, agricultural industry um, so that you can not only sort of manage shifts and time and labor schedules, but also manage things like piecework and tracking that piecework. Um, areas that we just previously have not really tracked in depth they're starting to get into being able to track from a um, scheduling and time and attendance perspective um, uh, where previously a lot of that stuff was done in spreadsheets or in, um, you know, homegrown, you know, access databases. Um, They're starting to get into doing workforce management for those areas. Um, And they're depending a great deal on their partnerships with the Oracle, SAP, Accenture uh, to make a, a go of it. Workforce management is a space that's going to change dramatically. Is this industry focus valuable? Do you think this is where most of the other sort of other workforce management systems are going to have to go is industry by industry? I, I, I think I think we're about to see a generic shift in HR and recruiting towards industry models. 
um, because what happens in a specific industry is is different. All of the variables operate differently. The value of a software engineer is different. The tenure, the the things that you need to do to produce challenge, all of that stuff changes industry by industry. Um, yeah. And and so I I expect that the result of investment is going to be that that companies get smart about the fact that you can't serve everybody and that what you need to do is pick your targets and build your momentum because fundamentally this isn't about solving all of HR. This is about helping individual companies solve problems that happen to be in HR. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and I would have to agree with you. I think the industry conversation has been put on sort of the back burner for a long time as we've been sort of building out general capabilities in most of these applications. And I think what we are seeing is now the industry is kind of coming back and saying, look, it's great that I can get 80% of what I need done here, but that extra 20% is the most important thing because it's industry specific. It's specific to me how I manage my scientists or how I manage my, you know, um, uh, marketing professionals or whatever else is important to my organization. So, yeah, we're definitely going to – the other thing I think that's going to be a big deal is going to be the regional um, conversation. We haven't heard a lot about that until recently with the with the new compliance and regulations uh, laws around data privacy. But I do think we're going to see a lot more conversation about sort of regional requirements, particularly in the payroll space, and not just from a regulations perspective, but also in a what does – the expectations in this regions around what the pay is, what the compensation is. So in some regions, compensation is just the financial metric, but in other areas, there's also things like reimbursements or, um, you know, your benefits is included in that. In other areas, it's, it's, it's your house funding, whatever it might be. So there's a lot of differences by region and by cultural area as to how payroll is managed. And one of the organizations that is, Working on that problem is CloudPay. CloudPay just raised $25 million in new capital, which is a pretty big um, amount for them. Um, I've been sort of talking to CloudPay for, for quite some time about their application. Primarily, they're, they're sort of known as a payroll aggregator. Payroll aggregator is basically an organization that they'll take all the little local regional payroll data uh, service bureaus, right, and aggregate that data up into a single sort of view using their technology. So, so they basically connect to all of the small regional technico- technologies in countries that you don't really want to sort of have your own payroll engine working in. I just don't have enough, you know, there's financially it's just not uh, enough business in those areas. Um, and it sounds like they're going to expand um, to offering more services, which gets a little bit more of what we were talking about, and offering more direct payroll, not just aggregation in some cases. Um, so they're looking at now expanding to somewhere in the range of 120 countries with this investment. And also they're looking at putting in, it looks like, two new service centers with this investment. So I think the regional conversation we're going to hear a lot more about, too, because we're expecting more of these um, regional roles to be included in our in our data. And to do that, you've got to aggregate the data in some way, and CloudPay is one of those type of organizations that does that. Well, and, and just, just to wrap that very quickly, if you're going to talk about culture, you have to talk about location. The, the 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 everywhere in the world, the culture is different by city. 
basically. You, you, you would never do the same things in HR in Mountain View, California, that you do in New York City. You simply wouldn't. You simply wouldn't. And being sensitive to that is something that we've overlooked. So, so it's going to be fun to watch that roll out. Um, and so we're through. It's been a great conversation. Time flew. Um, yep. uh, thanks, thanks for doing this, Stacey. It's, it's great. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll have updates next week. I think um, I'm going to be out at, at the Unleashed conference speaking, and you, I think, have, have more uh, demos that you'll be doing and, and other events you'll be attending. So next Thursday, we'll be back here again with some updated information on where everybody's at. Yeah, thanks. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We love having you here. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumsers. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone.